Good morning and welcome to this, the fifth episode of the Buell Early Childhood Leaders podcast series. My name is John Denzler, and this month, like every month, we bring you stories from around the state of Colorado pertaining to key conversations, policy decisions, and policy actions involving early childhood education within our great state. This month, we focus on P-3 alignment, which, while I'll let our guests explain what it is, seeks to identify what are the gaps and barriers between different levels of the education process. For those of us who might not be in early childhood every single day, we view education as a streamless, seamless connection between the first day you walk into a class ever as a student, as a preschool student, in the early childhood classroom, and when you graduate, exit from 12th grade or sometimes even from college. In reality, this is not what it looks like. While it should look like this, or a lot of the teachers we talked to for today's interview argue that it should look like this, it really just doesn't function the same way. Teachers teach different ways at different levels of the educational pyramid. Teachers have different skills, different lesson plans. As we'll learn from some of our interviews today, teachers actually have different goals in how they are teaching skills in the classroom as opposed to teaching students very functional daily living tasks. All of this leads to very different perspectives, very different relationships, and very different ways to go about teaching education where it currently stands. Today's podcast looks to individuals who are involved, like I said, in the P through 3 alignment movement, which is a national conversation about how do we bring all these different types of education and types of different educational philosophies into alignment in order to allow individual students to benefit most from the process. For this month's podcast, we really tried to make sure that we represented multiple different perspectives from around the state of Colorado in terms of early childhood education. While we try to do this every single week, we thought it was really important for this episode and this podcast based on the very different ways that different school districts teach and therefore the very different ways school districts are affected by the need to align or alignment movements in general around early childhood and what I will call, but point out the light language, the traditional educational system. Because of that, we focused on two different interviews this week. Our first guest today and representing the Denver metro area is Dorothy Shepland. Dorothy is an early childhood education professor at Metro State, a classroom teacher with over 32 years of working experience, a teacher coach, and professional development leader. In addition, we talked to Alana Witte, who is the early childhood education principal for the Salida School District, which again represents a very different relationship to education than we might see in the Denver metro area. Finally, we have a third voice we added to the conversation, and this is a little bit of a preview about what our next episode next month is going to focus on, but we sat down with Lauren Hines, who works with Clayton Area Learning as a policy specialist who focuses on funding models for early child education. At one point during our conversations, we were preparing for a larger episode about funding as a conversation in early childhood. We started talking about the different politics and different funding processes that are used by preschool programs or the type of programs, and again, what I call traditional educational processes. Um, we found that this was added a really interesting wrinkle to the conversation that gives it a very different perspective. Because that we wanted to include part of Lauren's conversation, recognizing that she's going to be one of our stars in the next podcast as well. So just so you know what you're listening to today, those are our three different perspectives, three different stories that we're trying to bring you in today's podcast. With that, let's just jump right in. What is P through 3 alignment? Here's Dorothy. So, um, in my experience, I've been uh, an educator for 32 years, um, primarily as a preschool, first, second, kindergarten, third grade teacher, mostly in that range. 
Um, so I have been doing working in the P3 range for many, many, many years. Um, and um, it's been my experience that there's a pretty dramatic distinction um, drawn between um, early childhood education, so anything birth through um, kindergarten, and then the elementary, so the kindergarten, first, second, third. However, children in that range from birth through about age eight, nine years old are really um, very much in um, a rapid growth and transition kind of um, phase. And we pretend that they're not once they hit elementary school. So kindergarten, first, second, and third grade are um, treated very differently and the expectations are very different in our systems than they are um, in uh, preschool, which is what we would consider classically early childhood education. That makes sense. So um, I'm very passionate about making sure that developmentally appropriate practice is used. So in other words, um, uh, practice that really is focused on the individual child as well as their age development, as well as their cultural development, all of those things, as opposed to um, curriculum that's focused on um, or, or education that's focused on curriculum and um, and uh, grade-level content, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I've been very passionate and worked a lot of years on making sure that we're, we are using developmentally appropriate practices with um, early elementary students, primary students, those first few grades of school because they are in tech, still in that rapid um, transformational kind of stage. Here's Yana. Um, so I, in the perfect world, it would be a seamless, uh, a seamless, seamless transition for children. You know, a continuum of education from actually you know, um, from when they're prenatal all the way through till they graduate from high school would be my best, uh, my best dream. But I think the more that the K-12 system understands early childhood and the more that early childhood doesn't dig their heels in and say, nobody understands us, we're the poor stepchild, I think that it will benefit everybody in the long run. Um, there's been professional development that we've worked really hard to include the preschool um, this year. We did a lot of uh, dual language learning, did a lot of language acquisition, and it really brought us together. So um, that's a nice way to start the conversation is through PD, joint PD, with uh, especially with a K-3 group and including the preschool. Even the toddler teachers are in on that conversation and it makes a really good understanding for alignment as you can probably tell from those definitions, P3 alignment in practice or in theory looks very different based on the school district you're in, based on the education level you're in, based on the teacher you're in, based on your training, based on your education level. All these different factors go into determining how a different teacher or a different school district would look to what is successful alignment or what is alignment P3 in general. Instead, it might be easier for us to look to define or to look to have a conversation about P3 alignment in places where we are not aligning. Where are places where there is actively a disconnect between P, K, 1, 2, 3, and all these different levels of the education process? And how do we look to rectify those concerns within the classroom themselves? Here's Dorothy. I think there are, there are a number of different um, reasons why we have this gap. Um, I believe that 
first of all, there it happens because there are different government programs, different government agencies, departments that oversee different phases of our education system. So the Department of Education is in charge of kindergarten through 12th grade education, but the Department of Health and Human Services really oversees anything that's pre-kindergarten. So different sets of rules and regulations, different oversight, different, different priorities are in place. And so getting an alignment across that bridges these two major government departments is a big deal. And so, yes, we do have them in different buildings, but even when we put ECE in the same building, there are different processes, procedures, and people, really, who come in to supervise, oversee, and make sure that the programs are um, run differently. My big example has always been in the same building, you can have an ECE classroom and you can have a kindergarten classroom, and the rules and regulations about exactly the percentage of bleach that needs to be in the water that's used to wipe down the table in the, pre- the ECE classroom is monitored and regulated, and you can lose points or gain points depending on how well you follow that restriction. And right next door in the kindergarten classroom, there are absolutely no regulations about whether or not they need to have toilet paper in the bathroom. So, um, because that's not what the Department of Education focuses on. So um, the Department of Education is more concerned with um, the curriculum that's being taught and the number of minutes that students are um, exposed to different things. So there's um, the gap has to do with priority focus between different government departments, first and foremost. And then there are all kinds of differences in the way that teachers are trained and prepared to teach at different grade levels and or to teach between ECE and elementary education and um, licensing requirements are different and um, so all the way right down the line how we run the buildings are are different. Iana? Um, well, we do assessment in preschool um, and we do it by observation. K-12 does assessment by testing and it, that's a big buzzword but really working hard to show that, um, especially for K-3, we can do a lot of assessment by observation with children and not having them sit and do testing and how much more appropriate that is. Um, I think that's a big disconnect. I think they think that when children are playing, they may not be learning. The K-12 system has that. And when I can show, you know, this that these manipulatives are showing math skills and and we're doing science and all the literacy pieces that fit in with the standards for K-12. Um, I think it, it, it helps us speak that language better. Whereas we're calling it dramatic play, but we, in dramatic play we might have math, science, and literacy all rolled into one. But picking those little pieces out and making them equivalent to what they, what they normally see in the K-12 system. In addition to perhaps changing classroom processes or how we evaluate student success, P3 Alignment also changes the very curriculum used by teachers. It offers new tools, new collaborative opportunities, and new examples for authentic teaching in the classroom that can help prepare students for higher levels of learning or prepare them to move up the educational ladder in the future. Dorothy? Yes, um, to, to a certain degree, and it really depends whether you're talking about early childhood or you're talking about preschool. 
um, because early childhood does go through, I'm really passionate about that, mm-hmm. really does go through second grade. So second grade curriculum is second grade curriculum. First grade curriculum is first grade curriculum. Whether you're an ECE teacher or an elementary teacher, there's certain things that you are required, expected to work through over the course of the year. I think it's really a focus difference. Curriculum, as it were, in a, in a preschool classroom is going to look like exposure to different things, so opportunities for students to explore as they develop different content areas, where in kindergarten through third grade classrooms, the curriculum is going to look more like it's reading, and this is reading time, and this is how we teach reading, um, um, uh, and, you know, all the various content, math, writing, science, social studies, etc., where those are more, tend to be more embedded. And it really depends on the preschool program, whether you're in, in a formal school setting or not, how teachers approach that. So what would alignment look like in that situation? So as far as um, teacher preparation, there's, um, there's a difference in, in thinking and approach. So uh, in early childhood education, we expect teachers to understand child development and exactly what a typical um, two-year-old is, is moving through as far as their growth, their physical development, emotional development, um, all those different things. So really a, that focus on growth and human development and recognizing the individuals in front of you because there's such dramatic differences. Um, a child walks when they're ready to walk, not when we've taught them the walking skills. Where in elementary, your teacher training programs are about um, specific pedagogy, how to approach teaching, but more than that, the content that you're going to be teaching. So really understanding how um, how one learns how to read, how one acquires reading skills and the different steps and stages that one needs to acquire reading skills, which is a very different focus than the steps and stages that an individual goes through in natural development. So the teacher training programs are different on either end on what they focus on. The overlap is that um, ECE teachers are licensed, are trained and licensed, um, birth through age eight, which covers through second, third grade, depending on where you are, and um, can be in a classroom teaching second graders alongside of another kinder, another second grade teacher who's licensed the kindergarten through sixth grade in an out with an elementary license. So those that um, difference in the way that they approach teaching might be very dramatic. Iana? And so I think I think that that has given value to evaluating teachers and how well they're doing and and um, and equating them to the the P twelve alignment. Um, as far as assessment, you know, of course, there's a lot of pressure on that uh, that reading and that testing in third grade. But I think that if you have done a really good job of early childhood, including preschool through um, second grade, it's going to show in that testing in third grade. I, I'm not a fan of testing, but it also it gives some validity to what we have done earlier because they're not going to just all of a sudden be great at everything in third grade. It takes, you know, the combination of starting at preschool to get that that really good, those really good um, test scores in 
third grade. And by assessing kids all the way through and knowing where they're at, there's no surprise at third grade. And I think that's also really important. You don't, you're not just holding your breath and crossing your fingers by the time they get to third grade to see how the state tests are. You will know because you've been assessing them the whole way. And so you'll have an idea of where your kids are at um, by that time. If you're a regular listener to our podcast, you're pretty familiar with our conversation around the misperceptions of early childhood education and the work that early childhood educators do. What's interesting in the conversation about P3 alignment is that if there's a lack of understanding of what happens at different levels of the education process, there's an opportunity for this misperception of what another teacher might be doing as well. Especially when you've been trained in a certain framework or a certain way to teach, let's say, third grade reading, you might look at how reading is being taught at the kindergarten level and not view it as legitimate or as the best way to actually teach that. What happens when there's this misperception within the industry, within a P through 3 process, is that often students are given very different directions on how to learn, why they learn, or when they learn. In an attempt to align P3-3, there's also a need to align a perception or legitimize the different teaching pedagogies that are being used. There's a need to legitimize the different teaching tactics that are being used in various different classrooms. Iana? I think, well, I think it's just a lack of understanding. Um, we do walkthroughs as principals. It's a tool that the principals do for teacher evaluation. And I've really encouraged even the high school principal to walk through with me in a classroom. And I can point out things that, that meet teacher standards for the teacher effectiveness rubric um, in the K-12 system. And also, I can point out what kids are learning and how it ties to standards. I think it's a lack of understanding. I think if they could spend a little more time looking at preschool, they would understand. I think they see it as just playing. I think you're right, that that's a big thing. And and I think um, early education has not been valued, obviously, uh, monetarily. Even as an administrator, I'm still lower on the salary schedule than some of the other administrators. Our teachers are on an equal salary schedule with, us, with the regular teachers. But it's still, it's always a fight. Remember preschool, remember us. Um, but I think the more we're at the table, the more we bring that in. Um, we're very fortunate right now to have a superintendent that very much believes in early childhood. Our um, district is a district of distinction. And a big credit to that is that, you know, our kids get a really good basis and they're school ready when they come in. And I think that makes a big difference. And the school's ready for them. We've done a lot of prep with transition and um, spending time with the kindergarten teachers the kindergarten teachers are now using gold, not to the same extent that we are, but they are using gold so that we can speak the same language when we send our kids over, and they understand that. And it makes a better transition for children, as well as for parents, um, and actually the kindergarten teachers. It makes their job a lot easier if they know, you know, what these kids know when they're coming in. If P3 alignment or other frameworks that look to bring different educational levels closer together or better prepare students to jump between them have been proven to be so successful or make so much sense, then what are the barriers or why aren't we seeing this endorsed throughout the state of Colorado? Now endorsed might be the wrong word because I'm sure that most of the teachers who are listening to this podcast can nod their head or agree with most of what's being said by the educators in this podcast. By endorse, I mean why are there structural barriers, why are there institutional barriers, and why are sometimes there political and funding barriers to authentically engaging with communities to align the P3-3 process to best support student development and student achievement? 
Here's Lauren. The more of a shortfall that we have in our K-12 funding, the less space it makes for new funding for other areas. So anytime that we're underfunding a major public funding area, then it becomes more difficult for us to receive funding for new mm -hmm. programs. So it definitely affects it. And like I said, we try as advocates to build as many bridges to K-12 as we can. So anytime that you pit us against each other for any reason, and funding is something that can really amp up tensions really mm -hmm. quickly, it hurts our mission overall and again kind of takes the focus away from what's best for Colorado's kids versus how can I get a couple extra bucks this mm -hmm. session. Yeah, it's really interesting because the other um, podcast we're actually going to be releasing next week is all about P3 alignment. Mm -hmm. So again, at the very early end of the process, trying to get these two processes at least in sync or in conversation with each other. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize that when you both have to literally fight over the same funding when there's a limited amount of funding, mm -hmm. that probably undermines the ability for administrators or people in those fields to actually have that conversation to relate to each other. Right, and like, it's confusing for policymakers because right. we did last session, one of the education committee hearings in the House, the two bills that were being heard were full day kindergarten and expanding the amount of Colorado preschool program slots. So it's so hard to go in and say that we want both, but legislators know there's only so much money and they're asking, well, which would you recommend? And we can't really recommend either because we recommend them working together. So it can see too how from a policy priority standpoint, if you're a policymaker, you know that there's only so much funding. So how do you prioritize? And when preschool and early education isn't formalized as part of the K-12 system, it's easier to look at that as an add-on or something additional. And again, kind of go into the perceptions of what you think preschool is and what you think our kiddos are learning here on campus. So I think that that definitely becomes a challenge too in terms of advocacy is how can we really explain a P20 system and thinking through what funding models can really support a continuous education stream rather than K-12 and early ed being separate. Mm -hmm. Dorothy? There's a, there's a whole section of our society that is working very hard to privatize education and um, villainize teachers and we're all caught in the midst of that you know, all of us in education so there is um, there are different opinions about what education should be could be and ought to be and there are many people that feel that teachers are failing our students and it is the fault of individuals and that if we if we let a free market take over and run how we educate students, none of this would be a problem. And there's another point of view that the system itself is struggling. And, and so what ends up happening is teachers are caught in between. And there are expectations and there are regulations and there are ways that um, teachers are monitored and evaluated based on the numbers that they produce and the ways that students achieve based on our monitoring systems of how students achieve. And that pressure is people's livelihoods and careers. And so to be open to a different approach and a different way to look at how students develop and how students learn and how we monitor that, uh, there's a lot of trust implied in allowing a teacher to monitor and watch what students are doing and record what they see and trust that that teacher is knowledgeable enough 
to recognize what they're seeing, to know what the next steps are that are needed, to um, honestly evaluate those children. And if we don't trust teachers to do that, it feels much more, it feels like there's more integrity to say, I'm just going to give this test and the numbers are really going to tell us what the student knows or doesn't know. And so when you're caught in between those two things, the, the idea that we're going to move to a more authentic, an authentic way of monitoring children and supporting children's growth doesn't really align with the fact that society right now feels that teachers are the villains and can't be trusted and that the desire of teachers is really to do as little as possible. And, and so it, there's, it's just a crossroads that teachers are caught in between and teachers do what is required of them now and what is, if a district feels that they're supporting their teachers more or feels that their teachers shouldn't be supported <laughs> one or the other, they're not going to embrace a program or an approach that is, um, that appears to be more subjective um, and that relies on our faith in that teachers know what they're doing and know what's best for their students and know their students well. And if we don't believe any of that too, then we go to a very formulaic, scripted um, approach to teaching and learning and assessment that that works around the teacher. That's the thinking. If we work around these teachers, then the teachers can't, they can't be the factor that's a problem. Knowing that piece of through alignment probably looks different depending on every school district you go to based on the local needs and community factors, there is a need to identify what success looks like in the piece of through alignment process. What's our goal? Where are we going? How do we know we've gotten there? Here's Dorothy. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I imagine it can take a lot of different forms. I have my own experiences that I would draw on to, to what I would envision. It um, may not be a textbook kind of thing, but having taught kindergarten for many years, having taught preschool for many years, I, I believe that a lot less focus on, on assessment of where students are and a lot more opportunities to explore and engage in authentic learning situations, a lot more authentic um, observation and kid-watching kind of assessment um, would help with that alignment. So just that alone, again, you know, I teach the um, I teach assessments, so <laughs> it's kind of a, a priority of mine. But I think that's just one thing out there rather than sitting students down and monitoring um, and testing to see what level they're at and um, with specific tests. In the preschool arena, we're looking at a lot more authentic situations where they're in a natural setting and you're capturing observation notes of what it is that they're doing. And it's up to you as the adult to really understand and interpret what that means. And we do a lot less of that in elementary school. There's a lot more of a focus on no one cares what you really think it means. We really just want to know what the numbers are. And and data doesn't have to be numbers. And so I think a really true P3 alignment would recognize that great, that, that huge um, developmental differences between students, between individual students, cultural differences, um, background differences, experience differences, all of those things matter. But 
all those things are key, and and that isn't really the focus for first grade standards, first grade curriculum, first grade expectations are more the focus than um, the individual differences. And and we know from brain science that the way students develop is going to be very much more individually different. There is a point in time we used to say uh, that in the primary grades where students are um, learning to read, and then there's a transitional point somewhere around third grade where they begin reading to learn. So their their um, curriculum becomes more of a driver. There's a lot more a lot more similarity um, at a certain point. No one has ever been exposed to this before until you're exposing the class. So you're teaching the entire class the same content at the same time. As we wrap up this month's podcast about P3 alignment, I want to take one last opportunity to get Alana on our podcast today, which I think is a really important conversation that she had with me at the very end of our conversation. When I asked Alana about what are the various barriers or reasons why P3 alignment was not being as successful as it probably should be, Alana identified that there's a need to have a better PR, a better storytelling around the work that's being done in the classroom. And what I found really interesting about this is that, again, this is what we try to do on this podcast, is to try to make either really complex ideas understandable through the minds and through the words of the experts in those fields, or to give individuals ammunition to give them stories that they can take to their principals, to their communities, their school boards, to talk about and advocate on why early childhood is really so important for the development of our young children in our communities. I think that Alana's comments really highlight one of the key focuses of our podcast, and we hope this is what we're doing to get you, the listener, the information that you need to be as effective policymakers and advocates in your community as possible. Here's Alana. Yeah, educating the whole community about the importance of early childhood and love the K-12 system helps drive that. I think um, if we're recognized as part of the K-12, I guess some good PR, and that's kind of um, always been my soapbox is, you know, um, we're education too, look at us. Um, and and so I think I think that PR piece is really important. Um, and and done in a good way, not saying that we're the redheaded stepchild and we don't get what we want, but saying, you know, look at us, we do really great things and see how how well we educate children and how, how much we help families and how how we are the epitome of school readiness. We get kids ready for school. It's it's really gives kids a head start. <laughs> not not to make a pun, but I think it is well maybe. But anyway, it's it's a good way to get kids to um for the whole community to see early childhood as important and not as childcare. And I think that is one of the biggest things that you can do to help with the P twelve alignment is get the community support. Because you can talk if if your superintendent and your board is not on board with early childhood you're not going to get that support. But if the community pushes it, it does push the board and the superintendent to look at early childhood. So just that little PR piece would be my one caveat that I didn't really get in earlier. We, we um, do a lot of community outreach. So we do a lot of things that we invite the whole community to. And we do a lot for the week of the young child. We do um, a month of uh, child abuse prevention. We do a huge literacy push that we invite the whole community to come in and read in our classrooms. Uh, we involve them in our gardens, in our in our on our playgrounds. So 
we try to bring the community into us, and then we're also seen as a resource. So people will call us and say, you know, where do I call for swimming lessons? How do I know about gymnastics? We are kind of a clearinghouse for that kind of stuff. So that brings the community in. And then the other piece is that I have a lot of my staff sit on boards within the community. They sit on the Alliance Against Domestic Abuse, maybe the Child Protection Team for Social Services. One of them sits on the print board. But that's a way to educate other people about early childhood is getting our staff out there, too. And, you know, we speak at Rotary occasionally. We go to the Columbus Club, and they come and help support some of our, our playground cleanup. So just reaching out to other community members so that they understand what we really do and getting them into our center to see what we do is, is uh, a really good way to bridge that community piece and parent piece. And a lot spreads in a small community. Word of mouth is huge. So, um, you know, some parents have a good experience, and then they tell other parents. And pretty soon it, it spreads like wildfire. So, and then if there are negative comments or problems, to address them right away and head on. And that makes a big difference um, just in professional, in a, a professional atmosphere. Listening to this month's episode of the Buell Early Childhood Leaders podcast series. If you want to get in touch with the show with any feedback, let us know what stories we need to be telling or give us anything that you think could help us make this podcast better for you, the listener, please email us at becklinpodcast, that's B-E-C-L-N podcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you tuning in next month as we focus more on funding and the funding process of early childhood here in the state of Colorado. We are going to focus on how a bill becomes a law, how funding becomes a law, and how bills get from the state capitol out into the classrooms around the state of Colorado. If you want to be a part of any of our podcasts, you think you'd be a good fit, you think you have a really important story to tell, get in touch with us, and we look forward to hearing from you next time. Until then, have a great rest of your week.